welcome to the first episode of Boston Strongcast. Uh, people have been telling me, actually for a while, that we should get on board and do a podcast, and since all the cool kids are doing it, I guess we're going to jump into it and uh, get started with it. So first off, I'm Kevin Can. I'm the head strength coach at Total Performance Sports in Malden. I'm also a student of Borishiko. He's been the only powerlifting coach I've known, and I've uh, been training under him since 2015. My idea with this podcast is just to get some more information out to everybody. Uh, we'll cover all stuff powerlifting. Uh, we'll cover stuff that's going on at Total Performance Sports. We'll try to get some guests on here as well. Uh, hopefully Murph will get on here and join us for a, uh, for a few of these and make it a little bit more fun. Um, but for the first one, I figured we would discuss a pretty important topic in the sport of powerlifting. And my humble opinion, it is the most important topic, uh, and that is with technique. And I was actually having a conversation with one of our front desk employees here at TPS the other day, and she was telling me about how her technique was poor and stuff when she first started, like, like everybody's is. But I think there's a huge misunderstanding in what the importance of proper technique in the lifts are. So I think there is a um, big misnomer out there that if you lift with poor technique, you're going to get hurt. Like first off, if you, if you go to, into a gym and people are picking up barbells, you'll see people lift with poor form all of the time. And they tend to walk away and they come back in the next day and continue to do the same thing. Now, of course, you know, we put enough weight on the bar, we run the risk of injury if we're lifting with um, improper technique, but we also run the risk of injuring ourselves if we do lift with proper technique. So not really sure that if we're lifting with technique that the whole you're going to get hurt argument is really holding up on solid ground so to speak um, and even research so when you look into especially like lower back injuries it doesn't look like acute mechanical stress is actually a major issue in lower back pain it tends to be more the cumulative effect of stress so basically, if you come into the gym and you train like an asshole, regardless of what your technique looks like, you run the risk of getting injured. So everybody has this baseline of volume in which their tissues and their nervous system are capable of recovering from. And of course, we want to go over that baseline occasionally uh, to force the body to adapt and to get stronger. However, if we constantly train over that baseline, we run the risk of injury. So it's not the poor technique is leading to our increased risk of injury. It's doing too much volume in the gym. Now, not saying that poor technique doesn't necessarily uh, lead to injury, but what it does do, if we do train with proper technique, it gives us the ability to handle more cumulative stress. So we can go into the gym and we can handle higher volumes if we're training with proper technique due to, you know, the forces that are placed upon the tissues and the joint angles and stuff. So it's important from, from that aspect. However, more importantly, it's a major component in us getting stronger. And it's an often overlooked component. Uh, if you go on the internet and you start looking up, how do I get stronger? You'll see a lot of stuff that talks about, you know, specificity. So we need to train the squat, bench, and deadlift. That is 100% true. Overload. So we need to do a little bit more than our body is used to. So it's what I was talking about before, how we want to come over baseline 
occasionally and we want to have enough recovery of course so that we're not over baseline too much but we need to come over baseline and stress the body out enough so that it is forced to adapt and to get stronger however and a really important concept is skill development so another fancy word for skill development or technique or whatnot is neuromuscular coordination so this is a way that we can use big words and sound smarter because that's what everybody likes to do so I'm going to read a definition. It comes from uh, some of Tudor Bompa, uh, Tudor Bompa's work, and he's kind of the grandfather of uh, periodization. So neuromuscular adaptation to strength training is evidenced by the improved ability to activate and coordinate between the chain of muscles involved. In order to increase any type of strength power quality, the body undergoes a neurological adaptation that deals with force application and proper movement. The two primary neural adaptations by which we get stronger are improvements in intramuscular coordination and intermuscular coordination. So intramuscular coordination is the nervous system's control over the number of motor units involved in the frequency at which they fire. So in a nutshell, the more motor units that we have and the faster that they fire, the more powerful we're going to be. And then on the other side, uh, in intermuscular coordination, this comes down to our actual passive and active tissue. So our tendons, our ligaments, and our, and our muscles to coordinate movement. Um, a good example, an untrained individual, if they walk into the gym, they're probably only able to activate about 60% of their motor units. So that's why you see a pure beginner have trouble repeating the same movements over and over and over. And once you start trying to put more weight on that movement pattern, it tends to look even worse. So you might have somebody who comes into the gym and they're capable of doing what looks like a decent bodyweight squat, um, and then we throw some weight on top of it and they're squatting high, the knees are caving in, the back's rounding. So they just haven't developed that proper neuromuscular coordination to activate enough motor units and activate them quick enough uh, to generate enough force to move weight. And this applies to even elite level power lifters. So in Boris Chico's work, when this gets translated to English, it's known as extrapolation. So what we want to do is we want to train the same movement pattern over and over and over uh, so that we become experts in that movement pattern. What tends to happen more often than not is people forget about this aspect and they're only focused on what intensities and how many sets and how many reps they're doing in the gym. So you might have somebody coming in and they're doing five sets of five at 75 to 80%. So this is right within the ballpark of sets, reps, and intensity for us to get stronger. However, the problem is in a lot of these cases, you'll see them lift and every squat looks different. So if all 25 of these squats look different, they basically train 25 separate movements within that training section. So within that training session, training that 25 separate movements, it's not allowing the body to more efficiently coordinate those inter and intramuscular um, adaptations that need, to, that need to happen in order for us to lift more weight. So what we want to do is we want to make sure that we're putting the right weight on the bar and we're using the right rep schemes and the right rest schemes uh, to improve that technique so that the bar path stays the exact same every single time. This helps us improve our neuromuscular coordination because the the joint angles are the same every time. The repetitions, if they're the same every time, it helps us recruit those motor units more efficiently. It helps us recruit them more quickly so that at the end of the day, we can lift more weight. 
in order to do this, there are a lot of a lot of ways uh, for us to practice the movements, and one of them is with proper repetitions. So we need to be able to analyze the lifter's ability to do the movement. And for a beginner, they want to probably stay within the majority of the reps should be within 60 to 70% of one rep max. This tends to be where most of them are capable of controlling bar path to make it look the same. And then as this gets better, we can start building upon it and making it a little bit, a little bit heavier because at some point the overload principle does become important. But we lose sight in a lot of cases of the long game within the sport of powerlifting. Everybody wants these quick, I want to put 30 pounds on my squat in four weeks. Instead of looking at it, well, it's going to take me, you know, four to six weeks just to be capable of lifting 60% with consistent effort every day I come into the gym. So too often people are, are chasing numbers instead of looking at the bigger picture where if they spend time redefining their technique, their total at the end of their career is going to be much higher than it would be if they're negating uh, their ability for... The Eastern Europeans have been discussing this aspect since the 1950s, 1960s. So a lot of cases we look at the squat and we're like, all right, these muscles are, these muscles are involved and so we need to make these muscles stronger. Now, this is not necessarily wrong. However, what we need is we need all of the muscles involved in the squat as well as the nervous system to be able to coordinate the movement as effectively and efficiently as humanly possible. So if we don't spend enough time under the bar practicing the movement and we're only trying to strengthen you know, our quads, our glutes, our hamstrings, our backs separately, we're never gonna develop the skill set necessary to move maximum weights on the platform. So we do need to practice the lifts, but we need to practice them in a smart manner. And getting back to that beginner who needs to do the majority of their work between 60 and 70% of one rep max, that's not heavy enough for them to be able to handle maximal weights on the platform. We do need to be able to touch heavier weights in a training block. But we can be smart in the way that we do these. So some of the things that we can do is we can use a slingshot or boards on the bench press. This allows us to use heavier weights like 90% of one rep max and higher and allows bar path to remain the exact same. So now we're using heavier loads and we're still trying to develop the most efficient neuromuscular system that we can develop. So if we put the slingshot on, we do two reps, one to two reps at 90%, this is gonna look a lot better than if we did not use the slingshot and we tried to hit 90% for one to two reps uh, straight weight. We're gonna start to see technique fall. In fact, you start to see technique break down for even higher level lifters around 85%. On the deadlift, we can shorten the range of motion as well. We can use blocks for this. It gets difficult on the squat to overload it in that manner. Uh, you just, you know, we don't want to be practicing squatting high. That's not necessarily going to be productive. But what we can do is we can use variations such as pauses, chains. Um, and what these do is they make the lifter use less bar weight, but it feels heavier. So if I'm going to do pauses at 75% of one rep max for triples, it's going to feel a lot heavier than 75% on my back because I'm forced to hold it and it changes the tempo of the squats. Um, so, you know, getting back to the bodybuilding aspect and training individual muscle groups, this still becomes an important component of 
powerlifting because we want, you know, the bigger the muscles, the higher our potential is for lifting maximum weights on the, on the platform. Uh, what we tend to do is this is called developmental work. So we will isolate muscles more here and we'll use lower weights at lower speeds. And what this helps do is it helps build some muscle mass, but at the same time it helps build some tendons, strength, and, you know, basically it's in there just to help keep the athlete healthy. When we're structuring a program, we do need to practice the competition lift. So in the beginning, and even for more higher level athletes, 20% of our lifts can be competition lifts. So this is the actual squat, bench, and deadlift. Now where these are done with the rep schemes and the intensities, uh, the coach needs to take into consideration the athlete's skill level within the sport and their training age. So that beginner is gonna be working at lower weights than somebody who's more elite. The beginner is also going to be performing less overall volume in the competition lifts and will have more uh, general physical preparedness, GPP, in their programs. A higher level lifter out of their competition lifts will have sets of higher repetitions um, because their their skill level within the lifts is, is higher so it's harder for them to break down. And that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to develop a motor pattern that becomes very difficult to break down. If we're constantly training in different positions and we're not consistent within our lifts, all we're doing is building an unstable movement pattern. The second we increase load on an unstable movement pattern, it's not going to have much room to succeed because it's already broken. But if we practice good technique all of the time, we can build a stable movement pattern that becomes much harder to break down. And you can actually see this develop when they begin lifting and when they move forward in their training and they start making improvements you know they might in the beginning 80 percent for four sets of two repetitions might look difficult and out of those eight reps you might have two or three of them that aren't where the coach would like them to be but over the course of time of constantly repeating that and working on their technique and using the correct supplemental exercises you start to see all four sets of two repetitions look the exact same. Then five sets of two repetitions look the exact same. Then five sets of three repetitions begin to look the exact same. You can start seeing the development of a stable movement pattern within, within their training. And this lets you know that they're, they're progressing and they're capable of hitting new larger maxes than what they've taken previously. Supplemental exercises is where the majority of the work in a program uh, is going to be done. So the supplemental exercises are going to be movements that closely resemble the competition lift. So the squat, the bench press, and the deadlift. However, there's going to be a little twist to them. So pauses come in here. Tempo work comes in here. Boards, bands, chains, whatever variation, whatever we do to manipulate the competition lift to work on technical errors falls under this category. So what the coach should be doing, or if you don't have a coach, get one, but if you choose to work alone, you should be filming your sets and you should be breaking down the movements into each of their parts. So for the squat, the unrack, the walkout, the eccentric, the concentric, and then the finish. For the bench press, the setup, the unrack, the eccentric, the position on the chest, and then the concentric all the way to the lockout. The deadlift, there is no eccentric portion on the deadlift, but the setup. And then we want to watch 
how they respond when the bar breaks the floor, when the bar's at the knees, when the bar's above the knees, and finally when the lifter locks out the weight. So sometimes what really helps, because in at full speed it becomes difficult to see some of these technical errors occur, especially if you're using lighter weights because they become so subtle. But if you slow down the videos and you, and you watch each one closely, you can start to see where it breaks down. And what I tend to do with my lifters is I diagnose an issue in each of the three lifts that I want to work on on a given block. And most blocks that I write tend to be four weeks. However, depending on the improvements that they make in technical proficiency, it may be longer than that. And their competition schedule, of course, is going to kind of control some of this. So if we're looking at the squat and they have a problem on the concentric when they stand up, the knees cave in and the chest caves forward into a good morning squat. So that may be the most glaring technical weakness that I see in the lift. And what we're going to do is we're going to put in some supplemental exercises that will help fix that. So it's going to be pause squats, typical two to three seconds in the hole, using 65 to 70% uh, sets of three to four for four or five sets, and we'll practice that. One of the other variations that I learned from uh, Boris that I like a lot in this situation is going to be squat with a pause on the halfway up. So the pause will be the same. It'll be the two to three seconds. The lifter will complete the eccentric as if they were on the platform, and then they will change directions into that concentric portion, and on the halfway up, they'll pause for that period of time. So this helps, one, strengthen the lifter. It helps the lifter strengthen the body at those exact same positions. So this tends to be the position that they are losing their technique. And what this also does is it helps slow the lifter down. So as they go to stand up, because they know they have to pause, they're not going to rush it. It lets them concentrate on that portion of the lift. And then they get to feel what it feels like to be in a good position in the halfway position of the squat when they're, when they're paused for two to three seconds. And giving somebody an experience helps these helps technique stick a little bit better than if you're just trying to cue them externally. And then from there, they can focus on the lockout. So it's, it's constant drilling with stuff like that that helps take their technique and make improvements upon it. It takes roughly two to four years to actually master a skill. And this, you know, even though powerlifting is not the most skillful of sports, it still requires a general amount of skill from the athlete in order to become one of the best. And, the, and, the, and this doesn't happen overnight. So you need to use the right volumes, the right intensities, and the right exercises. So at the same case where the lifter's knees are caving in and the chest is falling forward, we might use chains here as well. You know, it deloads at the position of the squat that they're having difficulty controlling their positions, allows us to use a little bit heavier bar weight um, than what we were using with the, the percentages that they were training at before. So this might be a better option than if I just prescribed straight bar weight instead of the chains and allowed them to continue to practice with poor technique. So if it already takes two to four years to master a skill, the problem then becomes if we're practicing poor movements, we're going to be pushing that two to four years even further away. So we still want to perform developmental work. So, you know, strengthen individual muscles. So the quads, the glutes, the hamstrings, the back, 
Um, this is important for tendon strength, tendon resiliency, and the more hypertrophy we have, the higher potential that we have to move higher weights. What I might do is there might be supplemental exercises that are going to be implemented within a lifter's program each block to work on one technical error. Um, what the coach needs to do is he needs to watch each lift and identify the positions within the lift. Was that already in there? Okay. okay. So, and they need to identify the positions of the lift in which the lifter is starting to break down. So for the squat, we have the unrack, we have the walkout, we have the eccentric, the concentric, and the finish. For the bench, we have the setup, the East, the unrack, the eccentric, the concentric, and the finish. For the deadlift, there is no eccentric portion. So we want to watch the lifter as the bar breaks the floor. What does his position look like when the bar is below his knees, above his knees, and at lockout? And what the coach needs to identify are the most glaring weaknesses. So in a lot of these, in a lot of these cases, what you'll see is one issue is actually leading to the other. So if we have a lifter whose knees are caving in on the squat and the chest is caving forward, on the way up, sometimes this actually starts right from the start. So in a lot of cases on the unrack and the walkout, the lifter is beginning the squat in a rounded position. So the head's down and the chin is tucked towards the chest. So where the head goes, the back follows. So this starts the rounding of the back. And then what might happen as the lifter goes to push their ass back to initiate the squat, the chest starts to float forward. This is where we can miss depth and this is also where we're starting to lose position and the chest can get pitched further forward once they try to stand up. So in this case with the lifter, what you'd want to do is you'd want to fix that technical error occurring right from the start. So we'd work specifically just on the unrack and the walkout. You don't even have to attempt a squat in this case. You might just want to practice that movement, have them unrack it in the right position, walk out, set their feet, and then walk it back in. And you can actually prescribe this for sets and reps. And then on top of that, what we could do is we could squat with a pause on the halfway down. So we're finding that technical error where it's falling apart during that eccentric position. And we can slow them down a bit and get them to pause on the halfway down. Give them that experience of what it should feel like and what positions that they should be in. And it'll help them improve their technique a lot faster. So each block, I do this with my lifters and I find the biggest glaring weakness that I want to fix. And at the end of the block, I'll look back and look to see if there's improvements. And what I might decide to do is I want to continue to work on these technical errors, but I want to start stressing these positions a little bit more. So instead of working at 65 or 70%, we might start increasing the intensity up to 75%. Um, and, then, and then go from there. And there's always going to be stuff to work on. And even if this lifter comes in and they're absolutely perfect. These variations serve an important role for recovery. So if we're using less bar weight and we manipulate the competition lift just a little bit, all we have to do is vary it just a, just a tiny bit and it allows certain motor units to actually recover so that the next training day, the athlete's gonna be fresh and they can hit it hard. Because remember, we need to practice our sport. So a higher frequency program is gonna be more beneficial than one that only squats once a week. So the majority of my lifters squat twice a week, deadlift twice a week, and they bench three to four days per week. So if you're 
an athlete, you're going into the gym, and you want to be competitive in the sport, you need to really be honest with yourself. And this can be extremely difficult because in the land of social media, it's not cool to be putting up squats that maybe aren't as competitive as some of your peers in training. And, you know, every, everybody wants that instant gratification and they want those big PRs because those are fun to post about. Those get the likes and everybody's happy. But just like any sport, to be at the top, this takes a, a period of time. So if you're a beginner, you need to be smart. You need to be using the right weights and training in the right positions. Otherwise, you're, ju- you're just not setting yourself up for the, the best road of success for long-term success. And even if you're an elite lifter now and you've put up a good total, if you're still one of the pack and all you're focusing on are your sets, your reps, and your intensities, you're missing an extremely important component of skill development. The ones at the top have spent the time and they have developed the appropriate neuromuscular coordination to lift maximum weights. So if all your reps look different and if you see a lot of glaring technical issues within your squats, you need to take a step back and fix that up. Uh, the Eastern Europeans have been, you know, the Russians specifically from, obviously from what I've, I've known in my very brief uh, powerlifting career is technique is the most important aspect in training. And they have been at the top of the sport for a very long period of time. And Boroshiko has, you know, he went seven years as being undefeated in international competition as the Russian national powerlifting coach. So there's a lot of success that can be found behind this. And one of the biggest takeaways that I've gotten from this is those that are at the top are the ones who persevere through training. So if you're constantly dinged up and you're having to take days off and take steps backwards and then you come back to training and then you're working just to get back to where you were and then that process starts all over again, something's not working. And it be good if you took a step back, you analyze your lifts, you see where they're breaking down, you use the right volumes and the right intensities to really develop a stable movement pattern so that, one, you can walk away from training not, not being dinged up, you're training smart, you're going to make slow, steady progress. There won't have to be you know, one step backwards to try to make two steps forward all the time. You'll, you'll have much more steady progress and longer term success uh, at, at the end of the day. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wrap that up here. If anybody's even still listening at this point, you know, I'm sure my mother would even check out by the end here. But uh, we're going to do this. We're going to get more people on here. We'll have uh, some other people's input. I have four lifters going to nationals next week. So the next one that we do, we'll get the four of them in there. They can talk about their experience, their training block. Most of them have been training with me for a prolonged period of time now, so it'll be interesting to hear their their perspective on the outcomes, and we'll have uh, some other guests so you don't have to listen to me ramble on for 30 minutes. All right, see you.